You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Jesse Freitag, an operations consultant and the host of the weekly Startup CPG podcast, a show for early stage food and beverage companies, just like this one. Jesse helps CPG companies with tough scaling challenges through consulting, mentoring, education, and fractional ops support at JDF Operations. If you're listening to me every week, you definitely want to listen to Jesse too. So we'll give you all the details at the end of the pod. Welcome, Jesse. Hi, Ali. So great to talk with you. Very happy to be here today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, I just feel like we need, it's funny, I was thinking, why do people ask for my advice the other day? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> actually having this like real sort of in the shower, like, I don't know why I am in a position to advise anyone. Like, we're still, you know, small fry, we're still figuring stuff out, you know, we still get whacked with all this stuff. And I think part of the reason why I feel even remotely comfortable giving advice is because I've interviewed 165 or whatever people over the course of the last couple of years. And I feel like what I'm giving them is not my own, if that makes sense, you know, like, and so I think right now with the world being as strange as it is and this industry being as if it was volatile before, it's just even more so now. I love having, and this is where I'm going, people like you who are, you have a specialty, but also you have like this, you know, 30,000 foot view of the ecosystem that we're in because I think you're probably able to extract best practices and see differences with categories and sort of get, you know, get an idea of sort of trends and macro things that can be very helpful. Um, if that makes sense. I assume yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I, that's the, that's the fun part of getting to talk to new people every week is getting to learn from them. And I love then when later in the week, somebody goes, Oh, I really wish I knew somebody that knew about this. And I'm like, right. I don't know how to solve that. But I just met someone who did, you know, there's yeah. it's, it's such a great feeling to be able to connect people and have us all collectively share our learnings. I think that's what's a beautiful thing about this industry. Yeah, you know, it's funny, I was just thinking the same thing. And in this kind of like, moment with myself, I was like, you know, a little conflicted, like, I try not to say I'm giving advice. I had someone very smart once say to me that she learned that you never really offer advice. You can sort of say like, in my experience, or from what I've heard from other people, or, you know, but like, 
advice almost makes it feel like if you don't take this, then you're making a mistake. And I never, ever want anyone to feel that way. But I think, you know, in that moment, I was like, I hope, I hope this is actually helpful (laughs) to people, you know, and then I was like, no, it is because, you know, where else are they, you know, all we can really do is sort of put people in, in people's ears and they end up making their own decisions and taking from things, you know, what they will and extracting what they want. And there are some outliers. I mean, I've had people on this show who've done things completely almost the opposite of the way that, you know, you would maybe recommend, um, in terms of building and it's worked out for them. So, you know, who the hell knows, but I guess that all is my segue into, I'm really happy to have you on for two reasons. One is because of this sort of big picture ecosystem, you know, broad strokes. And then also you do have some like real operations chops, which is, I think, a little underrepresented in shows like this because they do tend to sort of be more on brand and marketing and team and vision. So, yeah. Well, and yes. sometimes the, the us op ner- ops nerds come sometimes hang out in the in the background. We're just trying to keep the engine running, and then as long as the engine's running, no one really notices us scurrying around in the background. And then it's right. when something goes wrong, yeah. everybody's like, "Wait, there were ops people here!" Right. And so, <laughs> <laughs> well, I always joke about like I think episode three or something of this podcast. You know, it was like we had gotten our second purchase order, and I found myself having a nervous breakdown, pretty much like because I didn't know how we were going to fulfill it. And that's when I was like, we, I need to start asking people a lot of questions. And then I was like, I need to start recording these things for other people. And that's how the podcast got born. But basically, like, I think episode three, I had um, the head of operations for Bonza at the time. And I'll just never forget, because I think I've mentioned this on another episode, but I remember vividly sitting in like the recording booth with him at Roberta's and being like, so what is operations? And he was like, what? And I was like, what is operations? And he was like, are, is that, are you asking, is that a real question? Like I had no idea. I literally didn't even know what operations was. Um, which, you know, looking back, I'm a little like embarrassed that I asked him that question, but of why would I? You know, I had a cooking school, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's a weird field too. I didn't realize that I was really an operations professional until someone pointed it out. I just, (laughs) somebody goes, Hey, Oh great. You're the ops person. And I was like, what do you mean operations? I was like, I'm not a medical provider. Like I don't perform operations. And they're like, no operations. And then I looked it up (laughs) and I was like, Oh, that is what I do all day. Cool. (laughs) You know? Um, so we're going to get into some ops sort of like best practices and, you know, just some of the insights that you've gleaned over the last, you know, couple of years after the break. But for the first part of the conversation, I really want to talk about, you know, startup CPG, um, your podcast trends, you're noticing themes that keep coming up, what's on people's minds, what's on your mind. Um, you know, what are the things that you're thinking about, you know, when you go to sleep or in the shower, what kind of keeps popping itself up? 
Yeah, that's it's such a great question. And I've been thinking about this a lot too, because, you know, like you being on on the mic so often and talking to so many different entrepreneurs and hearing what's going on, it's it's super interesting to track. Um, and I, I really like what you pointed out earlier too about, you know, like with with advice and because I think with, with startup CPG, so just to kind of give everyone some background. Mm-hmm. So it's a community of uh, we have a Slack community with about uh, over 8,000 um, 8, people, mostly food and beverage focused. And I believe, Allie, you're in the Slack now too, which is awesome. I am. I am. I, it's, I, I got invited. Is it an invite thing or is it just like a email? Anyone, like- anyone can join, but there is like an invite link that, you know, you can get sent as well. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah but I didn't I, know, you know that. I'm- so when I got invited, I got really excited. Yeah. So we've got the Slack community, which is, you know, something that the community pivoted to during the pandemic. And then it became kind of the the backbone of the community. And then, you know, I'm just I I play a small piece with the week the weekly podcast, but we have a magazine, a blog, um, regular webinars that are all the content is free. There's a biweekly newsletter um, with amazing information and resources. There's just it's it's meant to essentially kind of make it so that food and beverage entrepreneurs aren't so lonely on this Mm -hmm. initial journey that you have access to these resources that, you know, someone that comes from a background in consumer packaged goods, they're going to have all these connections. They're going to know who to call for cardboard or co-manufacturing, or, you know, they're going to know how to navigate distribution and little brands, you know, especially if you've come up with an idea at home in your kitchen, you don't know all these things and you're at a huge disadvantage. So we're trying to make it so that that information is just available for free, leverage your community, leverage your other founders, and then, you know, you're building and hopefully just a couple, you know, helping build up the other brands to be a few steps up the ladder than they would have been on their own. Yeah. I mean, I will say one of my favorite, I just did a LinkedIn post because uh, one of my founder friends, uh, Matt Weiss from Rhine Snacks, he saw, he was at Whole Foods and he popped over to the fridge and merchandised us a little bit and tidied up uh, Ken from Sun Noodles ramen a little bit and then like sent us a photo. And it's just, you know, like, it's such a good supportive community. I really, I come from hospitality, which is also very lovely. And it's, you know, it's, I think everyone in this business basically knows how hard it is and knows that the odds are ridiculously not in our favor. And so most of us have just sort of made the decision, I think, to be as collaborative and friendly and helpful as possible. Um, because it, like you said, it is lonely. And I think we all just know like the better karma that we can build up in this, in this weird thing that we've chosen to do with our lives, the better. I mean, there really isn't much other explanation for it other than it's just a good group of people who want to be supportive of each other. I I think, right? Yeah. I think, and I think there's something special about you know, especially food and beverage too, just in the way that it, it it connects us and that, you know, recipes are unique and stories behind recipes are unique. Cause like I used to work at, at Adidas and you know, that that's a totally different type of industry, you know, like you, 
you can't even basically own anything Nike, um, right. you know, and, and work yeah. there because you're, you're so focused on one brand. But what, once I moved into consumer packaged goods, I worked at a bar company. I called one of our main competitors and just asked them a question and they were like, right. Hey, sure. Here's <laughs> the answer. You right. know, so it, it is, it's very different. So going back to those themes, what, what, what keeps bubbling up? I mean, whether you're like checking in on the community through the Slack channel or what interests, you know, people are expressing for, for all the different ways that startup CPG kind of supports people in this industry, what, what is it top of mind, would you say? Yeah, well, I mean, definitely top of mind. I mean, and, and lots of people are probably are talking about these things of just, you know, people are very conscious about trying to, you know, increase their margins, reduce their costs and try to, you know, be more profitable on their own to either not have to raise money or just, you know, in, add to their runway. Um, or, you know, there's always the the common topics of, you know, getting into distribution and learning what it's like to work with the big distributors like UNFI and KEHI and navigating chargebacks and those things. Yeah. But I would say one that one thing that I keep seeing, and, you know, maybe I'm noticing it more just from a you know, from being on the operations side is just how people are really having a hard time getting a hold of people that they want to talk to, especially as small brands are like, mm -hmm. I can't get anyone at the co-manufacturer I want to reach out. I can't get anyone at the warehouse I want to store my product yep. in to, to get back to me. Or I, you know, I want to buy this ingredient from this supplier and they won't get back to me. And those, those themes are really, um, really coming up a lot. And I think that that's something especially when I was on the brand side, it was, it was happening some, but people were a little more responsive, but it just, you know, these service providers are right. so booked right now. And for me, I've had to kind of think about like, okay, if this is just the way it is, mm -hmm. <laughs> then, you know, we have each other in our community yeah. to vent to each other and be like, this is frustrating. But then what do we do with that to then yeah. be like, okay, now, what do we, now this is just the state of how it is. Mm -hmm. What can we do? And I think kind of, you know, where I'm seeing, you know, people be successful and I found some success is kind of reframing. Okay. I'm no longer trying to get a transaction done. I'm trying to build a relationship and I'm going to, I need to sell my brand and why this relationship works. You know, if I'm a big ingredient yep. supplier uh, and I have enough business to keep you know, to keep me happy. I've got recession proof customers, you know, okay. I put myself and in maybe like three quarters of the labor force. Right? Yeah. I mean, cause that's yeah. a big part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. So then it's like, okay, well then if this little brand reaches out to me, then yeah, I'd probably delete it too. So what would make them reach back out to me? Well, oh, maybe it's the potential. Maybe it's how, you know, well laid out the information is maybe mm -hmm. it's so clear that I'm speaking the right language and trying to just really put yourself in the shoes and, and try to, you know, put the, keep the frustration to a minimum, be like, this yep. is the new state. How can I plan? And then also, how can I kind of systemize it of here's who everyone I reached out to. Here's the next time I'm going to reach out. Here's what I'm going to yep. call and not underestimating the value still of picking up the phone. I, I see that too, as you know, of, um, you know, people being surprised, like, Oh, how did you get a hold of that person? I'm like, well, I, I just called, right. I called every phone number I could find. And they're like, yep. someone answered the phone. I'm like, yeah. yes, it, not always, you know, not always, mm -hmm. but sometimes people will still answer the phone and you can get a, a lot done with a good old fashioned phone call. So sometimes, you know, 
some of these challenges, I'm like, you kind of have to reframe that kind of everything you do is sales, whether you're, you're the one mm-hmm. trying to pay money, you're still selling something. I and know. Sometimes I, that I, can yeah. help. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, I was, I was, there was uh, modern retail did like a article a couple weeks ago and they asked me about, you know, I think the big question is like, you know, how digitally native brands are trying to figure out retail and contending with the likes of UNFI and KEHI and whatnot. And, you know, it's interesting because you just said so many things in that like two minutes that my team and I talk about all the time, you know, which is one, just coming at this whole thing with a lot of humility, you know, like whether it's a truck or a slot or a line hour, whatever it is, even though we see ourselves as the customer in some of these situations, like they're basically considering that hour of line time or slot or space on a truck, an investment in us. And we have to treat them as investors. I mean, it's something that we learned early on as like a refrigerated brand that I think maybe just we got beaten into us pretty early on. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you, we, we did not have a large direct-to-consumer business, so we couldn't be like, what do you mean, blah, 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 blah. Like, we're, we're so great. Why wouldn't you want us on your truck or in your factory or whatever? So it, I think that coming with humility, but then also reinforcing, like, I've started saying like, we're the dog, which is ridiculous, but it basically saying like, we're not the tail, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, if we want to get a project done, we have to drive it because we can no longer rely on anybody outside of the 11 of us to push a project forward. Maybe we thought we could before, maybe we could before, but that time has passed. And like you said, there's no point in being frustrated or upset about it we just have to accept that and then figure out how do we mitigate the pain here, which goes to like contingencies on contingencies. So you might have interviewed three pouch manufacturers. If you're us in the past, now we're interviewing nine. Yep. And, you know, assuming that everything's just going to take longer and everything's going to be slower and people are just not going to respond, which is wild. But I honestly, I think it's, partially because they, they don't have the people. They used Mm -hmm. to have more people. People have just left those jobs. You know, the backbone of this industry has just been decimated in a lot of ways, whether it's like the grocery store resets where they just don't have labor to actually do the resets or co-packers where people are just like, they don't want to put themselves in harm's way by working on a line near someone else, you know, or driving a truck. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I try to remind myself in the moments of frustration of trying to reach out, you know, on behalf of a client or whatever of just I'm like, okay, the person I'm reaching out to is probably working alone when they used to have four coworkers helping them, mm-hmm. they're probably scrambling, they're three days behind on emails. So how can I help them? Right? You know, when I reach out, how can I be the person that they look forward talking to in this wild time? And that, that can really help reframe things. Yeah. And I love that because one is, you know, 
you're not acting transactional. You're not acting like you're a potential customer. You're trying to build a relationship and you're coming at it from a place of humility. But then you also said something about, you know, just the way even that you use the right language or, you know, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think that could be really helpful. Like, it sounds like you're saying, do your homework before you reach out and speak their language in the acronyms that they use without a lot of words. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And that's where leveraging, you know, resources of listening to this podcast, listening to other podcasts or looking at, you know, resources in the industry, like at Startup CPG of like, you know, watch a quick webinar. If you're trying to find a co-manufacturer, you know, watch a quick webinar and take some notes on the words that are used of minimum order quantity or Mm -hmm. line time. And then if the, if the company has a website, you know, really dive into it. Who are the people that work there? If you can find it, um, you know, what terms are they using? What are products are their specialty? And also, you know, just coming to it with, okay, how can I be as buttoned up as I can, you know, if right. you're going to reach out to them and say, Hey, I have an idea. Can you help me make my idea? Okay. That's probably not very attractive because, you know, they, they want someone that's got they, they have all the, they probably have certifications that they need to follow. They have big customers that everything's all lined up. So how can you come to them with, all right, you know, here's my product. Here are the volumes that I'm thinking here. You know, they don't have to be perfect, especially as a small company. You probably don't know, but you gotta, you gotta throw out some numbers to kind of start, you know, here's the packaging size. Here's the packaging type. You know, what are mm-hmm. the things that they're going to be thinking through? They're going to think, well, do I have the capabilities to this project? Are you, the volumes interesting enough to, you know, turn on the line for the day and, you know, lay all that out in an email and, and being really polite too. And, you know, offering more information, just making it super clear. Um, I kind of use like a little, I call it like a little brief that I make that's just kind of an Excel that lays out, you know, here's the number of units, here's the product, here's how it's packaging, here's the fill volume, here's, yep. you know, here's the weights. Um, here's when I, here's when I want to start. Here's when I need to start at the very latest, you know, like here's my goals versus the reality. Here's how I, how it's going to be shipped. Here's, you know, here's if, if I've already sold it to, you know, let's say whole foods, then, you know, share that because that's really exciting. And that means Mm -hmm. that you're going to order again. Um, and just laying that out really clear so that the person can look really quick and be like, Oh, interesting or not interesting. And then reach back out And, you know, using the, like I said, like saying MOQs or line time, or just saying like, I know it's a super busy right time right now. And you might not have line time, but I'm wondering what would make this interesting to you. And, you know, using their words can really show, okay, this person has done their homework. They're not just in their kitchen. They had a cookie idea. Now Mm -hmm. they're emailing me to make their cookies and they don't know, you know, they have no idea what they're even getting into because that's what, you know, on the not that it's not a bad idea to take your cookies in your kitchen, but you just want to do some research right. so that when you're talking to these service providers that, you know, they're going to, they're going to take you seriously and it's going to make sense to be a partnership for them. I think that is so, it's so funny because I'm remembering like an episode I did like a couple of years ago with a woman named Sandra Velasquez and she did mm-hmm. sales for Van Leeuwen at the time. And I was like, just tell me how to write an email to a, a buyer. 
Like, cause I'm like, hello, it's me. And here's my whole like life story. And this is what I think of the color yellow. I mean, literally I was just so, and she was like, the, this is the subject line. This is the thing. This is what it's three sentences, max. Like they, they are not going to open these emails. And when they do open them, if they see more than like a couple things that, you know, are in bold, they're going to just close them. So it like, it's similar. Like, I think that's such good advice, you know, speak their language, make it clear, look like, you know, what you're talking about, because they might be able to work with you, but what they can't do is do the work for you. Right. I think that's where their bandwidth is just gone. Um, and then in terms of just other, you know, the, the big questions you said, people are, I mean, what do you think of this? I'm a little torn a little bit because I feel like, I feel like uh, I'm going to try to verbalize this. I feel like coming from a brick and mortar background, I was always a little bit puzzled by the growth above all else mentality. I do think that at some point, if, if you were gunning for profitability, you would not choose to do certain opportunities with retailers, et cetera. And so, yes, there is a little bit of an and or, especially at the beginning, especially if you're making a product that isn't going to naturally, you know, break even or, you know, reach profitability for, you know, a few years, which is most of us. And now I feel like a lot it's very hard to be on a growth path and then like, and then all of a sudden like get yourself profitable quickly because you're in these retailers where you've been nurturing those accounts and probably spending to stay on the shelves in some cases. And, you know, even just like taking two big opportunities a year is like a big cash outlay that you might not get because you don't get paid for, whatever it is, 90 days. Right. So are you seeing like, is it whiplashy for people? Are they, are they frustrated by the sort of now all of a sudden I have to figure this stuff out? Or I mean, in a way I kind of like slowing the growth train down because it's, it's, it felt a little bit unsustainable to me anyway. And now I can sort of say like, okay, maybe we're not going to, you know, triple every year (laughs) because that was sort of like what was expected in the industry. We're going to grow, you know, 70% year over year, which is still quite strong. But now I feel like it's like, oh, okay. I understand that decision. That makes sense. Like, are, are you getting that sense? Like what are, I hear that people are thinking about margins and profitability, but what's the general sentiment around it that you're picking up on? Yeah, I I definitely do, you know, talk with brands that are that that expand a little pr- pretty quick and then, you know, have that that whiplash that you're talking about of then you have so many chargebacks to sort through from UNFI or KEHI that you're like, okay, I'll, you know, you you got paid 5% of what you thought you were going to get paid. Mm-hmm. Now, who on the team is going to figure out how to track that down? I literally just was just more... talking to another founder about it. <laughs> yeah. Like, how am I yeah. going to track this down? Who on my team does that? If we add more stores, 
that's just more deductions to track. If we outsource it, how much does that cost? Mm-hmm. So definitely that that is very frustrating. I see the the brands in especially like in startup CBG that seem to be, you know, doing really well are kind of taking the slow and steady approach of mm-hmm. really focusing on, okay, let's, let's really nail how to win at this retailer, yep. how, you know, what it's like to work with them, how to really focus on that velocity and making through that the sure that it's just flying off the shelves. You've got the partnership, you've got people going into stores and that just that relationship is so solid before then going to the next retailer. Yep. I think the brands that are are seeing more success and having less regrets are taking that little slower, steadier approach just because it means you can really, you can really hone and, you know, speaking of Sandra, Sandra likes to say, uh, you know, go hard in your own backyard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, b- brands that do that of like, you know, find retailers that you can really win at and that you yeah. can check on and make sure that things are going and then keep growing and then incrementally grow. It, yep. it just, it helps, it helps a lot. And then you don't have that whiplash of being like, wait, what are all these chargebacks or wait, why did we just get kicked out of that store? I thought we just mm-hmm. got into that store. Oh shoot. Right. Six months has, have passed and we were only right. selling one unit a week and we were supposed mm-hmm. to sell 10. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot to track if you don't have the systems and the people in place to make sure that it's going to be successful. Cause at the end of the yeah. day, it's about getting your product off the shelves. Um, you know, mm-hmm. getting, getting on the shelves is hard, but getting off is, is the really hard part that you got to have set the setup for in place before you get on shelf. And I mean, again, I see this as a little bit of an opportunity for a little bit of like a reset, right? Because I mean, every guest pretty much on this show since 2018 has said some form of hard in your backyard, core Mm -hmm. than more, you know, outperform at one retailer, open the door wider where there's a crack, like whatever you want to say, like that has been the overarching message. And yet when you look at LinkedIn or when you read the media or when you see who's getting, you know, investment and like the, you know, let the the little rocket ship stuff and all that, right? Like, it's like, wait, what happened to core than more and hard in your backyard? Like you're opening all of these stores. You're going super wide. You're going like, wait, what? You know? And so I think there's been like a little bit of like a confusion, um, in the industry and sort of everyone loves, everyone loves innovation, but from everyone I've talked to, like, don't innovate too quickly build up one product line really well, stay in one category for as long as you can and do all the things you can in that category before you start going to another place in the store. You're not, your brand awareness isn't ready for that yet, right? Like there are these like fundamental things that keep coming up and yet somehow they feel almost like juxtaposed with what we're all reading. And then we all end up feeling bad about ourselves, Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the downside almost to, I think there's so many positives to like to community and people seeing what other people are doing and, you know, feeling less lonely on the journey. But when you see somebody so far ahead of you or doing things that you've just been, you know, advised or that you, you know, in your gut are not right for your brand mm-hmm. and you see someone else do them, it's just like, oh, well, wait. And so, right. you know. I think um, being able to put on a little bit of blinders of, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm going to use community and utilize community and mentors 
for the things that I can leverage. But at the end of the day, I know what's best for my brand and just sticking to that path because you also never know behind the scenes. Like, sure, lots of times, you know, the Series A and Series B numbers are reported, but not always not, you know, not all the raises are reported at all. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there's some private investment happening in the background, or maybe there's some, you know, connection or advisor that you don't know about that's making something possible. Maybe they actually have 60 people that work there and on their website, (laughs) it only shows 10, you know, so you just have to really think like, okay, that doesn't make sense to me. And if it doesn't make sense, it's probably not my right for my brand. Right. Um, and tr- but it's so hard to keep those blinders on and just keep focusing on the one foot in front of the other. What's right for my brand? I'm going to focus on building this. Like I was just talking with Anna Peck from Chia Smash mm-hmm. uh, recently on the Startup CBG podcast. And she was starting about when they, when they launched, they started in one Whole Foods mm-hmm. and they just put <laughs> everything into that one Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's incredible. Like that is that's great advice. And if you follow that, like, you know, what a great trajectory it put them on, but that is so hard to just focus on one store. Everybody will tell you launch nationally, you know, then, then add sprouts, do it all. You can do it all, Mm -hmm. raise some money, you know, you and do it all at once, but you just, you know, starting small and focusing, if you can focus, that's that's huge. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's great advice. Um, Okay. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and get more great advice. (laughs) So we'll be right back. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and their rarest natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. I'm back with Jesse Freitag um, from all sorts of things, JDF Operations and um, Startup CPG. So speaking of Startup CPG, you built a database um, warehouses, fulfillment, that's like gold. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Why, what, how, and where it lives and how people are interacting with it? Yeah, absolutely. So Startup CPG actually has kind of a, at this point, we've got a whole library of databases, which is amazing. There's Shopify service providers, Amazon providers, um, a list of accelerators and incubators. And, mm-hmm. um, and then the two, two databases that I've specifically built are one for freight providers. So freight brokers and carriers for whether you need full truckloads or, you know, mm-hmm. LTL partial truckloads moved and then warehousing and fulfillment. So whether you need to store something short term, long term, or you're looking for someone to actually fulfill your e-commerce and, you know, and B2B orders like through distribution or for retail, 
you know, databases for you to look those up. And those are all available for free. Anyone who is signed up for the startup CPG email list. Mm -hmm. So just startupcpg.com, you sign up for the email at the bottom of that is a link to all the databases to the first email you get. And yeah, building those databases was such a cool experience to get to connect with so many of these awesome service providers in the industry and hear from brands, you know, hear from our 8,000 brands in the community of, hey, who's your favorite freight broker? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, where do you, who's your favorite fulfillment provider? And then get to talk to those and put together the list. And, you know, I wanted to make the list something that I wanted to you would have wanted to have when I was mm-hmm. on the brand side and something that I can still use going forward. And right. so, you know, they're all our databases are super like customizable. So you can search by, you know, is this, can you get a, a temperature controlled truck or a reefer? Um, right. If you're looking for warehousing, is it air conditioning? Is there frozen? Um, which state are they in? Can they integrate with my Shopify? Mm-hmm. Um you know, do they have long-term storage, those kind of things. And so you can filter for those. You can filter for if it's community recommended, which is my favorite piece. Brands is our community essentially said, here's our favorite. And if, you know, if, if someone has a question, reach out to us. And I think that's really the most powerful piece because you can just look and be like, oh, you know, Haven's Kitchen uses, has used this warehouse before. I'm just going to reach out and see if someone on the team will tell me what that's been like. That's, that's way better information than, you know, you can get good information on a sales call, but you also got, if you can do your homework and have those recommendation calls and learn from other brands that that's just gold. So, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, first of all, I don't think I realized like what an incredible resource the startup CPG world is. So it's amazing. And then in terms of you in your day job, um, I mean, you consult, you are fractional operations. Like, are you doing everything from sourcing to logistics, warehousing, freight, all of it, like order management, like where, where, where's your sweet spot? Yes. The answer is yes. (laughs) A little bit of everything. Some of my favorite things to work on are anything related to tech stack challenges and how to utilize technology just to work faster. Even if it's, you know, even something simple like Google workspace, like there's so many, we basically everyone has a Google workspace subscription at this point. And Mm -hmm. there's so many ways to leverage Google sheets or other Google tools to just be more efficient, save you time and just kind of systematize and create processes. That's, that's definitely what gets me super excited is just how to save some time and and also make it easier to scale. If you can set things up when you have yep. three employees, when you have 15, it's way easier. So give me, can you give me an example of a couple of like tech systemizations that you have felt were really helpful that saved companies time and money and set them up for success other than Google worksheets, like any other yeah, Any other for things sure. I should know about? Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking I notes. Mean, depending on, you know, I think the project management tools can be super powerful. I'm I'm a big Trello fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've built some like Trello systems to help track, you know, everything that needs to be done, who's doing what, progress on everything across the whole organization, especially once you get past, I would say like 10 employees, it can be really tough to track and integrating yeah. that with, you know, however you're communicating, if it's Slack, 
making sure everybody's using it. The other the other one that I think gets under undervalued or not looked at a lot is just the power of having a CRM tool like customer relationship management. Like it could be HubSpot, which like the free version. There's a lot of different tools you can use, but I think that that's something that I've implemented HubSpot a number of times. And it's always amazing when to see the light bulbs come on in people's faces of like, oh, so I'll know when my salesperson has emailed the person at Whole Foods, I'll be able to see that. And then if I hire another salesperson, they can go in and see that and they can just build off that. And I'm like, yeah, yep. You're like, oh, no, that's, that's way easier. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think part of the issue is like, sales, I mean, even like our sales team uses PCs and everyone else uses Macs, right? Like there's, it's almost like sales is its own little ecosystem. Ops has its own thing. Marketing has its own thing. Finance, you know, they're over there doing Excel things and building dashboards and whatnot. There, it's like, the people are used to communicating in certain ways. Even, you know, like I love Slack, there are people on my team who really don't, you know, and, and it's fine. Everyone's kind of gotten used to, we all know that we need to have common ways of communicating with each other. But I think to your point, we're 11 now, it kind of, you know, feels like at 20, it becomes very hard unless just the sales people are communicating on their thing and the ops people are communicating on their thing. Like these cross-functional projects and, you know, even shopper marketing, right? Like how do we know when we're launching, how many stores, how many locations, which SKUs, you know, what do we set up as the promo schedule? Are there photos of the set? You know, do we have any, all of those questions, they're like in between, they're in between functions almost. And it seems like the way to get that information with as little friction as possible exists, we just might not be using them quite yet. Yeah. And it's a lot about, you know, I think it's also, you know, you see it a, a technology tool or something, and a lot of times they're expensive. There's a lot of, you know, free options for things that that aren't necessarily expensive because software subscriptions can add up if you're not careful. But it's important to really think about, okay, how will my team use this? How are they using it right now? How will this integrate to their day to day, especially like, you know, like you mentioned with sales, if a salesperson is not used to using, say, HubSpot, Mm -hmm. they're not going to just start using it because you downloaded it on their computer or added it or added their login. And so it's really important to think about and it takes time. And I think that's the hard part, because some of these setups, you know, they take a little upfront time, but then they save time on on the back end is okay how, how do I actually make this integrate? How do I show how this has a benefit to the team? How do I show how this everybody helps everybody work faster and better? And then it takes some ongoing management of, you know, I've often been the person in an organization being like, Hey, great email. That's a really good example of something that would have been that we could put in this Slack channel. Thanks so much for sending. Um, You know, and and you kind of have, it's kind of, you kind of have to be almost the irritating person that kind of trains everybody of, you know, or, oh, that would have been, you know, a great thing to log in HubSpot because then we could talk about it at this meeting when we print out the report in, Mm -hmm. you know, 
next time I'll just print out the report. If you, you know, if you add that to the system, those kind of things, and just kind of showing, showing the benefits and it takes time and it's really easy to give up 50% of the way through implementing a piece of software and be like, Nope, everybody hates it. We're done. We're just, we're just going to go back to using (laughs) sticky notes and, you know, and we'll figure out how to make it work. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I, and also I think I'm, it's kind of like me with meetings. Like I like meetings. Um, people have heard me say that before. I'm not one of those, you know, we, we do these user guides when about ourselves. I don't know if you've done this or you've worked on a team that's done this, but it's something we've been doing now, I guess, for like two years where everyone who joins the team writes sort of like this user guide for themselves, like the care and keeping of me. So it's, you know, what you're going to do that's going to annoy me, what I'm going to do that's likely going to annoy you, how to handle me when I'm, you know, annoyed, how I prefer to communicate, how I like to know if you're unhappy about something, like the best way. It's really like the, the manual to me. And I am very aware that I like to meet and I like to sit and hash things out and I like to draw it and I like to go back to like, why are we doing this and what's the context? And I'm also aware that there are people on any team who feel like a meeting is a waste of time and a bit of like, you know, what could be discussed in five minutes takes a half an hour because people like me, I, I talk a lot and stuff like that. So I, I think I'm, it, when it comes to systems, I don't want to slow anyone down or make anyone work on a system that isn't comfortable to them because I'm worried that, you know, it's going to, it's just going to be annoying and I don't want anyone to feel annoyed, but <laughs> I think at the end of the day, you know, creating these things and, you know, no one should have, there should be not like no single person that has all the keys to the kingdom. So part of this is just like making sure that everything is accessible to everyone. And I think part of it is saving people time from having to say like, okay, here's what I talked about with so-and-so and then having to repeat that or having to go back and be like, wait, what'd you talk about with so-and-so, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think too, like, I just always try to be upfront with teams too. Like you mentioned, like I, I don't like wasting other people's time. I, I hate that they're, you know, that they're going to feel uncomfortable. And so I try to just be upfront with, you know, Hey, this is going to be uncomfortable. You're probably going to be mad at me at some point during this implementation right. <laughs> and that's okay. In fact, I welcome it please let's talk about it. And so when I've been in an implementation, somebody be like, Hey, I'm really irritated about this. I feel frustrated that I should, that I didn't know I was supposed to put that in Slack Mm -hmm. or I didn't realize that that goes in the new inventory management system. I liked the way I did it before. And I'm like, great, let's talk about like, let's talk through the frustration. It's super painful, but if you can kind of let it all bubble on the surface and make sure that everybody can talk through it. Usually you can get to the, the successful, you know, other side of, of an implementation. Cause in, you know, a lot of times it's not like if you're implementing a full big inventory management system, that's a huge thing. You know, adding something like integrating Slack into your workflow is, is less so, but it's still a big mm-hmm. change when we're used to doing something. I love the user manual piece. Yeah. I think that that's super smart. I, 
I think that's something too, to that's something that I actually, as I establish relationships with vendors, you know, if you are, have your, who sources your, the different people that source your ingredients, your co-manufacturer, I ask mm-hmm. those kind of questions when I'm doing, you know, initial calls too of, Hey, if I have a question, do you prefer text or email mm-hmm. or, right. you know, how, what format do you like? Do you like it? If, um, you know, I call you, would you, is there someone else on your team I should talk to? And I kind of create little internal preference sheets for different vendors. And that can really help navigate those relationships as well. Mm. You're like, you're like, you got, you're like the person with the toolkit who like goes into the company and just like, goes like, uh, uh, uh going to, you know, put the, like, make this window work and get the creak out of the door and like nail down the floorboard. It's awesome. I guess that's what operations is. (laughs) Um, what about, you know, going back to, again, you know, the, the things that were sort of at like the top of the hour, like ingredients, margins, cost of goods, you know, how, I think a lot of the people that listen to this are, you know, our stage, maybe a little bit, you know, earlier, some are a little bit ahead on some parts of their business. But I think we're all, you know, all of us want to have integrity to the products. All of us are, it's like trying to fix the bus when it's going 90 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Like, What have you seen as the best way to sort of attack margins and cogs? Like, where do you start with, you know, okay, 60% of this is olive oil. So let's start there. Do you lay it all out? Do you make, you know, what would your project sort of roadmap look like? And where are you seeing people have the most success? Yeah, I think, I think in making sure you keep, you keep your COGS conversation also really tied into your consumer insights and what makes your your brand you. So if there's something that you're sourcing really specifically that you get a ton of feedback on or people love that you have this connection with this specific farm, you know, sure, maybe you could save 2% by switching to a different farm, but it's so key to who you mm-hmm. are. So I, I usually start by thinking which which components of my costs are really key to who I am and what right. my consumer connects with. And and then kind like of non-negotiables. evaluate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because you know, maybe the olive oil is the non-negotiable, even yeah. though it is the biggest part of the product. So okay, you know, maybe we can't touch this, or maybe we when we look at it, we just here's the things to be cognizant of because it's a little easy to kind of take the I used to do a lot of little crafting growing up. We had the like little exacto knives or whatever, mm-hmm. and you're trying to like cut something out and it's easy to just, you know cut too much away. And then you're, you know, I've seen that happen with brands, whereas they scale, they get into a big retailer, they need more margin, they swap out a really key ingredient, and it changes the texture, the taste, and you know, you lose, you lose a lot of fans and or, or, you know, sometimes you gain new ones, there's pros and cons. But, but yeah, so I think framing that first, and then starting to look at, okay, you know, what's really important as far as where I source these? Are there any other key components? Like, you know, am I trying to source fair trade or organic or, you know, am I non-GMO versus organic and looking at those pieces and then starting to, you know, that's another place where I think ingredients were leveraging community can really come Mm -hmm. in handy 
saying, hey, who else is sourcing cacao from someone that they love? Or who else is finding tomato, you know, tomato paste that they love or looking into local, you know, like I'd love to find someone more local, but the costs are not affordable. And, you know, pulling the local community, I kind of have I there's people that I've met in the industry that I'll just call them and say, Hey, I'm trying to find this ingredient. I know you don't sell it, but you probably know the person who knows mm. the person mm-hmm. right. just really starting to call and, and leverage. And rather than it's easy to kind of think, okay, I need tapioca. I'm just going to call the people that sell tapioca. Well, that's a strategy, but I think you get a lot further when you talk to the people that kind of you know, okay, who, who in my community is sourcing this ingredient, who has figured this out and, and talking to other brands can really help in the, in the COGS conversation and, or, you know, looking at other pieces too, is there a fulfillment component you're not thinking about? Is there something at the, are using a co-manufacturer and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's some, some margin there that you need to discuss with them, or is there a different partner? So, you know, ingredients and raw materials are one piece, but there's also all the other pieces um, as well that you can evaluate partners. And again, leveraging community, I think is huge here. It's, but it's so easy to just be like, I'm going to call everyone that says they sell this ingredient. (laughs) Yeah. And I think to your, to your earlier point about like being a little, doing some of the research, like your first email or call, whether it's to a service provider or really someone in the community is the, the more concise you are and the more like the less open-ended, I think the question is the more likely you are to get a response, right? Like sometimes when it's just like, who gets whatever, you know, it it feels a little too like I do, I don't know, you know, whereas it's like, I need 60 pounds of this to do a trial, blah, blah, blah. And I need it this date. And here are the specs. Anyone, you know, it's like a little bit more, I guess the ask is a little bit easier to answer. And maybe it feels like a, a little more serious. Mm-hmm. I also like to remind when I'm talking with people of, you know, reminding providers of, you know, even if this doesn't work out, or if even if this isn't what, what is an ideal client for you, because maybe I can keep you in mind in a year, or maybe someone else I know in the industry Mm -hmm. is going to be a good fit for you. And I can recommend someone and trying to emphasize to ingredient providers, for example, just that, that you're in it for the long term, you're thinking about the long term, because that's another important piece too. on the cogs side of, you know, maybe you just can't find a lower price on the volume you're at now. But in six months, you know, you're going to be at that higher volume, find that provider now find your provider for two years from now, mm-hmm. you know, w- while you're at it and, and, and keep, make it, in those a, connections. keep it in a tech database. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Keep, keep notes on it. And then also mm-hmm. those people, you know, if you if you say to hey, someone, I know I'm not ready for you. But, you know, I know I'm going to be in two years, who should I talk to now? Who are the who are the brands it's that are stepping to stones to yep. you? Yeah, sometimes they'll tell you, you know, you yeah. may have to call or email a few times, but you can still find out and build those long term relationships. And it's hard when you're in a hurry and you're like, I need this now. Mm-hmm. But it all all comes back around when you're kind to people and you, mm-hmm. you know, when you refer them business and or, you know, you remember them a year later, it, it all counts. And, yep. you know, those relationships matter. Totally. I mean, I think that's, it's, it's funny because it's almost like the way that you would say to an investor, you know, okay, you know, you write 
you know, $10 million checks. So clearly we're not ready for you, but what are some of the earlier stage investors that you see on people's cap tables before they get to you? And would this be something that you would consider, you know, passing on to them? And similarly, you know, I'm in this ecosystem with a lot of companies that are, you know, growing pretty quickly. And are you open to getting introductions? You know, I think, I think that's your point about building the relationships, making all of this less transactional, whether it's an investor, a retailer, a co-packer, an ingredient, you know, maker, all of it. Um, And that takes time and it takes putting ego aside and having patience. Um, But I think you've probably seen enough success now watching that method work. Um, that I think it sounds like you're pretty confident saying like, it's the right way to go. Yeah. And you can, you know, you can system like, you know, a lot of operations, there is a lot of transactions and you can streamline those pieces of, you know, having, have an efficient list um, of all the places that you've contacted and when, Mm -hmm. and, you know, make it easy for yourself to add notes or have an email that you are sending over and over and save that as a template. Mm -hmm. So you're not rewriting it, you know, save time on, for yourself on those pieces so that yep. you you have the ability to put the time into building the relationship side. Yeah, systemize, systemize, systemize. That's the title of this episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Jesse, thank you so much um, for coming on. Go to Startup CPG. Is the, is, can you listen to the podcast that you host from the, just, if you just type in startup CPG into your podcast app, is, is it there? Yep. Yeah. Any podcast app type in startup CPG. Yeah. Go to startupcpg.com to get on the email list, get the invite to the Slack community. Everything's free. There's all the databases benches as well. And then, you know, the magazine, the blog, just such a, just a plethora of resources that the team at startup CPG is putting together to get out to, out to brands. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Armin, thank you as always for engineering as well as you do. Obviously, I could not do this without you. And um, all of you listeners, thank you as always. I hope this is helpful. Uh, Clearly, Jesse's like a wealth of knowledge. So reach out and I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.